Welcome to Christian Assembly, a family church. Since 1930, we've been serving the communities of Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, and West Virginia with the good news of Jesus Christ. With over 40 years of Bible teaching and ministry experience, Pastor Bill brings faith-filled revelation from God's Word. We believe with you, wherever you are, that God will inspire and change your life through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly, follow us on social media or visit our website at cafamily.net. Praise ye the Lord. Amen. Our first text is found in Matthew 13 and verse 34. And it says, For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house and gave. Notice the word there, gave. What did he give? He gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. Notice he gave something to them. Obviously, they didn't have it before he gave it. So they had to depend on him to give it to them. But what did he give them? Authority. Authority means, in your notes, the right to command obedience. To command obedience. Anybody need an ink pen or a copy of our notes? Just raise your hand and I'm sure we'll get one to you. Over here. Anyone else? Right over here, my left. So command obedience and to enforce obedience. To enforce it as well. To command it, to enforce it, and to act officially. To act officially. Jesus had authority over sickness. Do we believe that tonight? Yes. He had authority over demons. Do we believe that tonight? Yes. So he had authority over demons, over sickness. He had the right to enforce obedience and act in the official capacity as the Son of God. And that's when he walked upon this earth, how he acted. He was the Son of God, Son of Man. He acted in obedience to the covenant that he was under in the Old Testament, the Old Testament covenant. So sickness obeyed his command. Is your next word? Sickness obeyed his command. And so did demons. And we have no problem with that. We have no issue with that. We believe that he had this authority. We believe he had his power. And as he walked upon the earth, he demonstrated it on numerous occasions without a doubt. Well, in Matthew's gospel, chapter 8, we see that reinforced. We won't take time to read all the scriptures. That's put together for you. You can take it home and you can read it for yourself. But... It's a situation where this centurion came to Jesus and said, My servant lied the homesick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus said, I will come and heal him. And the man said, No, I'm not worthy that you should come under my roof. Speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. For I am a man under authority. I say to this man, go. And he goes to this man, come. And he comes. And to another, do this. And he does it. And when he said that, Jesus marveled and said to them that followed him, I have not found so great faith in all of Israel. And many shall come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the, in the, in the kingdom. But many will be cast into outer darkness. They'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And he said to the centurion, Go thy way as you have believed, so be it done unto thee. Well, what did the man believe? This man had faith in the authority that Jesus had over sickness and disease. He did not need Jesus to come to his house. Now, if Jesus offered to go to your house, would you let him? Yes. Would you want him? Yes, I do. Sure, we all would, right? You might want to clean up a little bit before he walks in. But, but the point is, if he offered to go to your house, who would not want him to go to your house? 
But what did he do? He said, no, no, I'm not worthy of that. You speak the word only. I understand authority. You speak the word only and my servant shall be healed. There's no sense to walk the distance because there's no distance in the spirit. Just give the word and that's all there is to it. In your notes, what brought healing to the centurion servant was his faith in the authority. What brought healing was his faith in the authority Jesus possessed over sickness and disease. And that's what brought it. He believed in Jesus' authority. So he knew all he had to do is give the word. Just give the command. Well, healing under point one comes to us as we recognize, is your word, the authority we have. We recognize the authority we have. Now, I don't want to stop there. In the name of Jesus. The authority that we have is in the name of Jesus. Over sickness and demons. We have authority over sickness and demons in the name of Jesus. And why is that important to say it's in the name of Jesus? Because they don't care about my name. They're not concerned about your name. But the name of Jesus makes them tremble. And they will tremble at the sound of that name. And when we use the name of Jesus, it's declaring that we're authorized to act in his stead, in his place. And so we say in the name of Jesus, be gone and the devil has to obey. And it's sad to say that in Christianity, especially in Orthodox you know, you've got people that you talk like this and they think you're coming from another planet because they've never heard of anything like this. It's just, well, if God wants to do it, then God's going to do it. That's exactly what the devil wants us to think. That's like you standing on your front yard and someone just come, came over, pitched a tent in your front yard, and just said, well, if God wants them to leave, they're going to leave. Are you serious? You're going to stand there and let them pitch a tent in your front yard and then spend a night there and all that? Order some pizza, bring it in, have a little party there. You're not going to do that. You're going to say, get off of my property. You're going to use your authority because that's your property and they have no right to trespass. And you're going to say, get off my land, right? Well, this is what he's saying to us. We have authority in the name of Jesus to transact business for him on this earth. But we've got to recognize that authority that we have and realize it's all in the name of Jesus and really in actuality he's the one that's doing it because he says in my name there am I so when we declare that name we proclaim that name there he is to make it good he said whatever you command demand in my name that will I do so you're using his name but he's doing it so okay as we appropriate faith in the mighty name of Jesus your next word is appropriate and command sickness or demons to obey, they must respond appropriately. I remember the testimony of a pastor who was in his, uh, he was in his sanctuary and they had rafters in the sanctuary and he was uh, in a time of fasting and prayer because some things just weren't right within the assembly. And so he sought the Lord and after some time into the fast, he was caught up in the spirit. He looked up and he saw this huge demon up there. 
just kind of hovering over the place. And when he saw that, he spoke to it and said, in the name of Jesus, get down here. And the demon responded saying, I don't want to, but if you say so, I have to. And he came down. He says, in Jesus' name, get off the property, never return here again. I don't want to, but if you say I have to, then I have to. So he walked out the door. Don't ever come in again. The pastor says he walked over the door and watched, and he went down the street into a bar, and the bar burned down that same night. Imagine that. But the point is, he saw in the spiritual realm that these demons actually have to act appropriately. They have to bow to the name of Jesus. And that's why the devil doesn't want us to understand or know that we've got authority and power over demons and even over sickness and disease, which, again, sometimes is foreign to us. But look at Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 1. I want us to see these verses because they're so important to us. Luke 9, verse 1. Then he called his twelve disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils and to cure diseases. What did he give them? Power and authority. In other words, dunamis, miracle working power, and also exousia, which is authority like a police officer would have, authorized to stand for the government and stand up and, and also enforce the laws. So Jesus gave his disciples authority, or your two words, authority and power, to, over all devils and diseases. Authority is something that must be given from someone of greater authority. So, Jesus, who's of greater authority, gave us the authority to use his name. And he gave us power in his name over all the power of the enemy, over all sickness, and also all demons. And again, if you're growing up in a church that's nominal and you just don't even hear this ever preached then what you think is you just got to sit back and whatever happens, happens and just pray that maybe God will do something. But he is saying is, no, you use the power and authority of my name and do something about the situation. Just like he told Moses, you've got the rod in your hand, stretch it out over the Red Sea. Don't look to me, God said. So he did. And when he did, the waters parted. So we have a part to play in it. We've got to act out in faith and believe that we are authorized, that we have this uh, authority. Look at the next verse in, in verse 2, Luke 9 and verse 2. And he sent them to do what? Preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Notice the two things he authorized them to do. Preach the gospel and heal the sick. Preach the gospel and heal the sick. Would you say God's concerned about healing the sick? Absolutely he's concerned about healing the sick. He could have just said, well, preach the gospel. And that's it. But no, everywhere Jesus went, he healed the sick. And it was more than just a calling card. It was in Matthew 14, 14, because he's compassionate toward everyone who's sick. It says he healed all that were sick, having compassion for them. And so God hasn't changed. Jesus hasn't changed. He's as compassionate today as he was then when he walked upon the earth. And he tells his disciples to go out there and preach the good news, the gospel, and heal the sick. So they were to use their God-given authority to preach, is your next word, point three, the kingdom of God, and to heal the sick. Preach it and heal the sick in the process of doing it. Now look at Matthew. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 10, verses 7 and 8. 
Once again, these words are in red. So who spoke them? And he says, and as you go, preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out devils. Freely you have received, freely give. What did they receive? Authority. What did they receive? Power. What were they to do with it? Preach the gospel. Preach the good news. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, etc., etc. So obviously all this is a part of kingdom preaching. You see, healing of the sick is kingdom preaching. It's not God hand selecting somebody down there on the earth to get something from him. Everybody's invited to be saved. Everybody's welcome to be saved. Everybody can enter into the kingdom of God if they want to. The provision has been made, but it's up to the person to come and receive. But if they don't hear it, how can they come? Jesus told them, preach it. Let them hear it. So Jesus preached and practiced healing. He preached it. He practiced it. And what else did he do? His disciples were told to preach and practice healing as well. And all believers are commissioned to preach the gospel and heal the sick and cast out devils. Your next two words. Preach the gospel, heal the sick, cast out devils. And this can't be done unless we're given authority. And I know there are some that are out there. You might be listening or whatever and saying, yeah, but that, that was the disciples. Well, you know what? We're sons and daughters of the Most High God. They were disciples at that time, but then they became sons and daughters of the Most High God. As children of God, He has given us everything that we need. I missed the mark there. After Matthew, then Jesus preached and practiced. Jesus preached and practiced healing. And then he told his disciples to do the same thing. Preach the gospel and heal the sick. But once again, that's not possible for us to do without being given authority. We have to be given authority. Now, the next two uh, scripture references there in Matthew 28 and Mark 16, recall those the Great Commission. So the Great Commission means he commissioned them to go out. And this is what he told them to do. In my name, after you preach the gospel, cast out devils. In my name shall you cast out devils, speak a new tongue, save up, take up serpents. If you drink any dead thing will hurt you, and lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. This is the gospel message given to the world. Go into all the world and preach this. Cast out devils in my name. Notice it was all to be done in his name. And then he says, and make disciples or disciplined students of all people groups. So teach them they have this authority. Teach them they have this power. Teach them they've been endued with dunamis from on high. And let them know they could rise up to a place in kingdom ministry where they can exercise dominion over all the powers of darkness, including power to cure diseases. And once again, we don't see ourselves that way as we should. Well, when Jesus commissioned believers to use his name, he gave them the power of attorney. To do what? To act on his behalf. What is the power of attorney? It gives us the right to act on the behalf of another. So once again, we can't toot our own horn. If we do anything in his name, he's the one who does it, not us. It's the power and authority of his name that he gave us to use here on earth. We could say it like this. I feel so bad for the devil. I feel so bad too. Don't you feel so bad? 
He's going to bow to the name of Jesus. What an advantage we have. It's so unfair. Isn't it so unfair? He has no right to use the name of Jesus, but you and I, we've got all the right because we've been given the power of attorney. Have you ever tried to talk to somebody on the phone, uh, like whether it's the social... Uh, Social Security Administration or a hospital or a doctor and you're talking to them about someone who's above 18 years of age who's considered to be an adult and you're trying to get information and they tell you, well, sir, do you have the power of attorney? We won't talk to you unless that person is there and gives us permission to do that. So you, we can't. I walked one time into a bank and I've been in that bank many times, but I was at a place to where my father couldn't conduct business for himself. And so I walked in there and says, I like to conduct business for my dad and said, where's your power of attorney? Because you see, before I just walk in with my dad, he was my power of attorney. <laughs> well, this time he couldn't walk in there. And so I walked in on my own thinking that, well, they know me, et cetera, et cetera. They said, well, we can't do that unless we've got the power of attorney. So the door was closed without the power of attorney. There was no transacting of any business without the power of attorney. Well, then finally I got the power of attorney and I walked back in and said, here is the power of attorney. This gives me the right to act on behalf of my father. I want to transact business for him. They said, no problem. You see, if, we, if the devil thinks we don't know we have power of attorney, he's going to pull that card on us and just say, well, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. But if we know we have the power of attorney, we've been given the right to act on the behalf of Jesus, what would Jesus do in that situation? See, once again, it's not us. What did Peter say? Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. He had the power of attorney. And that's what he used to perform the miracle. Well, once again, it's not just for them. Why isn't it just for them? Because in Mark 16, it says, All believers, anyone who believes in my name, cast out devils, speak with new tongues, take up serpents, etc., including laying hands on the sick and they shall recover. So you see, it's important that we recognize the fact that we have this authority, we have this power, but it's not just learning the truth. It is the truth getting into our hearts. It's the truth renewing our minds. It's not just, let's say, I've educated myself with this information, but it's detached from my life. It is a part of my life. I need to act on this power of attorney, and I need to know above anything else that in the name of Jesus, whatever it is I'm facing has got to bow. And so, our next section. How am I going to get to that place as an individual? Well, number one, lay our own foundation. Lay our own foundation. You see, this is important. You hear a message like this, I hear a message like this, we get excited about that, but you see, it's something that we hear and maybe we understand, but that doesn't mean it's a part of who we are. We got the information, but now what are we going to do with it? Well, God wants us to use this thing called meditation so it becomes something that's a part of us and not detached from our lives. It's not just educating ourselves, but it's not being applied to our lives. So it's up to us to lay our own foundation. In Matthew 7, 24-27, what did Jesus say? A wise man will dig deep and build his house on a strong foundation. 
so that when the winds blow and the storms come and beat against the house vehemently, it's not going to fall because of the foundation. But an unwise man, a foolish man, will build on sifting sand. And when the storm comes, the wind blows, etc., etc., it's going to fall. And grace is going to be the fall of it. Why? That person's not building it on a solid foundation of truth and knowing for a fact for themselves that these truths belong to me. Now, our faith must, be, must rest upon the principles, is your first word there, under point A, and the promises of the Bible. The principles and the promises of the Bible. God doesn't change. God is a God of integrity. And once he makes a vow, he will honor it. Hands down, he's going to honor it. Okay? So if not, if we don't lay a foundation for ourselves by learning the principles of God's word, the promises of the Bible, then we won't be able to stand against the challenges that are sure to come. He didn't say if the storm comes. He said when the storm comes. How many of you know that no one's exempt from a storm in life? None of us is exempt from a storm in life. But we can be prepared for the storm. Can we not? We sure can. So we must be so certain that healing belongs to us that all the reasonings, is your next word, the reasonings of the best of men and demons can't shake our faith. How many of you know that Jesus himself said that when anyone hears the word of God, immediately comes the devil to shake our foundation. To determine whether or not we believe what the word says. In other words, he's going to challenge our position of faith. So it's wonderful to hear this truth. It's a blessing to know the truth. But even when we step out to act on the truth, like Peter acting out the, on the word come, walking out on the water, we will be challenged when we get out of the boat. And that's going to be a process of growth for us. we got to step out in a realm that could be challenging, but we know what God said, we exalt it above anything else, but then the enemy will use distractions that are out there to get us to think, well, maybe it didn't really work. Maybe I wasn't effective. We've got to know that we know that we know that we know that we know. We've got to build it into our spirits, brick by brick, line upon line, precept upon precept. No, this is the truth. It cannot be any other way. God has given me power and authority over all sickness and disease, over all demons to cast them out. And so I believe God above my senses, above human reasonings, above what religious tradition says. I believe God. Did he say he, he gave us power and authority over all the power of the enemy? Yes. He sure did. Look under point B. Most of the practical failures of faith result from doubtful convictions. Doubtful convictions. Okay, I know by his stripes I'm healed. I know he's given me authority and power. But if we're easily persuaded and convinced otherwise then you see the truth has not really taken deep enough root within our lives. Here's a little testimony. A woman that was suffering from severe depression embraced Christ as her healer and was immediately strengthened and emotionally and physically. She shared her faith with her pastor who objected to her views, calling them 
fanaticism. I've been there before. Have you? Well, you're one of those, one of those fanatics or whatever. He said her belief was exclusively for the apostolic age. Boy, are you, is that one getting old? It was all for the apostolic age. It was all for the days of the, of the apostles and so on. Well, what's for today? Nothing? Chopped liver? We have nothing? Absolutely not. Not true. But that's what he told her. So, he said her belief was for the apostolic age. In other words, it's all done away with. She changed her views. Your next word is views. And in less than a month, she sunk into a deep depression that she scarcely knew if she believed the Bible to be true. Wow. See, he convinced her that it wasn't for her. It wasn't for today. Well, with the help of another minister, she laid down her own foundation. Isn't that wonderful that someone could come along and take her by the hand and just say, let's walk through the scriptures right here. Let's really see what these verses of scripture say. Now, you tell me what you think. I remember doing this with a young girl uh, with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And she came from a uh, background where, religiously speaking, she didn't believe the tongues were today because she, she was taught that they weren't for today and so on and so forth. And her father also being a minister and same thing. Well, I said to her, all I want you to do is just give me a few minutes of your time. And if we can go through the scriptures, then you tell me what you, what you think afterwards. So we sat down. Her and her boyfriend were there. And I went through all the scriptures that talk about being filled with the Holy Ghost. Went through every single one of them that, that from the book of Acts and so on. 1 Corinthians uh, thir- 12, 13, 14. Well, she came to the Sunday night service when we had Sunday night services. Came up to the altar and I just said to her, well, what do you, what do you say? She goes, after seeing all those scriptures, I can see clearly that the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking with other tongues is for us today and it's for me. So just lay your hands on me. And I will be filled with the Holy Ghost. I don't even think I laid her, my hand on her. I just began to pray. Try, went to lay, she just began, she received. And her language so, was so fluent that it was something I've never heard. So, so beautiful, fluent in the spirit. She was praying and worshiping God in the Holy Ghost. What did that? Just the right understanding of what the scriptures really teach. We've, we've got to have the revelation of God's word. We've got to be convicted for ourselves that this is for me. Now, this woman was convinced at one point that it wasn't for her, even though she received it. But now, all of a sudden, she has this new foundation. And she said, and here in your notes, I know it's true. If all the world should deny it, I know it's true. Why? Because she developed her own foundation. She then asked for forgiveness for her weakness and unbelief are your next two words. She asked for forgiveness. Forgive me. Lord, I was weak. I caved under the pressure thinking that this man knows more than I do. You see, it wasn't hers. She didn't embrace it. She didn't take it as a part of her life. And as a result, she was echoing someone else's faith. She was mimicking someone else's faith. She received from God and she should have had a foundation beneath her uh, in the word where she understood that it was absolutely true. But she was that quickly shaken. When someone else challenged her. So it really wasn't there as a foundation. But once she got it. Look at this. She renewed her profession of faith. Was completely restored to health. The very pastor who caused her to stumble. Admitted her recovery was of God. 
and he had to admit it. Isn't that sad, though? She shouldn't have had to go through that. He should have reinforced that and said to her, I rejoice with you in your victory over this thing. Now, if someone thinks that, well, what we believe doesn't really matter. Hmm, you've never read Numbers 20, verses 8 through 12. I won't take time to do it. I'll just share it with you real quick. Moses was told to take the rod and go and speak to the rock so water would come out of the rock to satisfy the thirst needs of the people of Israel. Right? That's what he was told to do. So he takes the rod and he goes over to the rock. Instead of speaking to the rock, he strikes the rock. Water certainly gushes out, but then God takes him aside and said, because you didn't believe me, you will not take my people into the promised land. You didn't follow my instructions. I didn't tell you to strike the rock. I told you to speak to the rock. And uh, wonderful as Moses was, he had an attitude. Must we fetch water out of a rock like a prideful attitude? Like, my goodness, I got to do this again for you people. Like as if he was above them all. God wasn't happy with his attitude. And God wasn't happy that he did it his own way and not God's way. You see, the first time he struck the rock is like the first crucifixion. He was crucified once. The second time you speak to the rock, you don't strike it because you're not going to crucify Christ twice. It was a type of the crucifixion. Strike it once. That's it. Christ is not going to come and die for anybody else again. Did you know that? Once was enough. The second time, just speak it. Declare it. Proclaim it. Say it. Bring water out of the rock. Whatever. He just said, speak to the rock. I kind of wonder, what would he tell him to say to the rock? Bring forth water. Water come forth. Whatever it was that he said, he said it and water came out. But he struck it. He should have just said it, not struck it. So he was wrong. But I wonder what God wanted him to say. All right. If we think that what we believe doesn't matter, just remember what Moses suffered for not following instructions. Following instructions. Did I give you those already? Okay, those two words are following instructions. So number one, we need to lay a foundation for ourselves. I have authority. You have authority over all the power of the enemy. I need to embrace that truth. Think about that truth. And remember, we don't operate in those truths at the highest level the first time we hear them. Matter of fact, when we hear them, we're going to be challenged along the way sorely because the enemy comes immediately to undermine our faith. He doesn't want us to get faith and develop faith in our authority. You see, if, he, if we do that, then he knows he is going to lose. So he'll come immediately before we really get rooted deeply in it to try to undermine our faith. Now, number two, be assured of God's will. Be assured of God's will. 1 John 5, 14, 15, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know he hears us whatsoever we ask, we know we have the petition that we've desired of him. Okay, this is what 1 John 2, 14 and 15 say. This is what they say. All right. So I've got to ask according to his will. Well, those who pray if it be thy will, they don't know God's will. I remember when I first got saved and I heard uh, many individuals, especially pastors, praying from the front. Well, Lord, he'll so-and-so if it be your will. And I kind of thought, I don't understand that. We're supposed to ask according to his will. And it isn't healing his will for everybody? Of course. Well, if they pray that way, they cannot honor those scriptures we just, I just quoted to you. Ask 
according to his will. Do I have to ask him if it's his will to save someone? Because you know his will. He's not willing anyone should perish. He wants all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. So I know the will of God. I would never say, Lord, save so-and-so if it be your will. That would be ridiculous, right? Probably be criticized for saying that. What do you mean if it be my will? Well, what about healing? Does healing belong to us? He forgives all our sins. He heals all our diseases. So it is his will that we be healed. We should be saying, now, Lord, I know it's your will to heal so-and-so. Help us get whatever we got to get out of the way to bring healing. Isn't that the better attitude we should have? Absolutely. I know it's your will. We know you want everybody whole. That's what Jesus died for. So under B, true faith implies confidence in God's willingness to heal us as well as his power to heal. True faith implies confidence in God's willingness to heal us as well as his power to heal. Any doubt will paralyze our faith for healing. Now, do we ever say, Lord, help us if it be your will? No. Do we ever say, Lord, comfort us if it be your will? No. Do you ever say, Lord, guide us if it be your will? Why not? Because we know it's his will. What about strengthen me if it be your will? Does that seem like a really ridiculous statement? Lord, help me. If it be your will. Oh, no, not right not today. Mm -mm, no, not really. Lord, I need strength for today. Please strengthen me if it be your will. Nah, you're on your own today, buddy. You're on your own. But Lord, I need, I need comfort. I need, I need the comfort of the Holy Ghost. Can you nudge him a little bit and have him bring comfort into my soul? I'll see what I can do, but I, I don't know how much he wants to today. I mean, does that make any sense? But when it comes to, Lord, heal so-and-so, if it be your will, and people think that's pious. No, it's not understanding redemption. It is his will. To comfort us, to help us, to provide for us, to strengthen us, it is his will to heal us and make us whole. He's already done that at the cross. So, under point B, his willingness and his power. We have to understand both. So any doubt will paralyze us. So under point C, if it be thy will carries with it no claim for which Satan will release his hold. It carries no claim for which Satan is going to release his hold. If it be your will, if it be... No, no, it is his will. So devil, get your hands off the property of God. Remove whatever it is that you put on so-and-so. Do you remember the situation with the woman that was bowed over for 18 years with the spirit of infirmity? And she could in no wise lift up herself. And Jesus walked over to her and just said, Woman, thou art loose from thine infirmity. And when they challenged him and they questioned him for healing on the Sabbath, they, what did he say? Ought not this woman, being a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound all these years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? And they were embarrassed for their view, for the way they saw it. He said, look, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath too. Healing is a good thing to provide for people even on the Sabbath. But what power-packed words when he said, she's the daughter of Abraham and she deserves to be healed. And you and I 
are sons and daughters of the Most High God. And we're the children of Abraham as well. So if you want to just minimize the fact that we're sons and daughters of the Most High God, what about the fact that he says also that we are the children of Abraham? Well, if that child of Abraham should be healed, then shouldn't all the children of Abraham be healed? And he says in Galatians chapter 3 that we're, if you're in Christ, you're Abraham's seed or children and heirs according to the promise. So we're heirs of Abraham and we're heirs of God, joint heirs with Jesus. I think we got the complete package, don't you? We got it all, don't we? We've got both from the Jewish perspective and also the Gentile perspective. Praise God. Why are we going to insurance hospital and make them laugh? That's a good idea. That's a good idea. Uh, number uh, Point D, Mark 140. Remember um, when the, when the uh, leper came to Jesus and said, I, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. I know you can. I know you've got the ability. I know you've got the power. It doesn't take much faith to believe that God has power to do anything, right? But I don't know if you will. And so Jesus answered the question once and for all. And he says, I will be thou cleansed. God's will is questioned here. But Jesus' response is eternal and universal. It's eternal. It will never change. It's universal. It encompasses everyone. It wasn't just said for him. It's for everyone. I will. Notice he didn't sit the man down and ask him a thousand questions. He just said, I will. You want to know if I will or not? I will. It's my will. Then a centurion came along and he said, I'll do that too. I will come and heal him. So God's will is established in Matthew chapter 8. You can read the first 17 verses. And it establishes the will of God in healing. And it shows how authority will activate the power of God to bring wholeness into people's lives. And then under point E, John 5, 6 Here's Jesus at the pool of Bethesda and says, Wilt thou be made whole? Well, wait a minute. This man's there wanting to be made whole. Why is he asking me, do I want to be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Doesn't my being here tell you I want to be whole? He wanted to get him to declare his faith. Will you? Will you do what's necessary to be made whole? Well, that was the question. And when he tried to give an answer, I have no man to help me and all that. Jesus said, take up your bed and walk. Just take up your bed and walk. And he took up his bed and walked. And he was instantly healed by the power of God. Okay, will that be made whole? Why ask his will in the matter? Why ask his will? Remember John 15, 7 that says, If you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask what you will and it will be done unto you. What's the criteria? What's the principle here? If you abide in me, we abide in him. And my word abides in you. Then ask what you will and it will be done. So what do you want? What's your will? Well, his will was healing. So God's word reveals his will. Knowing God's will enables us to ask accordingly. And he asked the man. The man was trying to respond. But Jesus gave the command and he was healed. Now, there was a woman that was anointed and prayed for to be healed, and she returned a few weeks after she received her healing, saying, I'm sorry, she returned a few weeks after saying that she was no better. Ever been down that road before? I'm sure we all have. Well, she she was asked what she believed, and here was her reply. See, you never know what someone's believing when they come for prayer. Do you realize that? You never know. When you're going to pray with someone for healing, you never know what they're thinking or what they're believing. They may... Say a few things, I want to be healed and all that. But here comes the truth. 
She said, I believed that I should be healed if it was God's good pleasure. Your words are if and good pleasure. <clears throat> That's what she believed. She, she's actually telling on herself. And if not, I am willing to have otherwise. Notice it was all contingent upon God and his will. See, that's not what we're studying here. Jesus said, what is your will? What do you want? God's will is established. He already bore our sickness and carried our pains. Well, she says, I'm willing to have otherwise. In other words, if he doesn't will to heal me, then I'll, I'll just live with it. Well, she was told that the word reveals his will and that it's a mockery, your next word, to imply a doubt of his willingness. So what you're actually saying is, well, if he doesn't really will to heal me, I'm willing then for me to take whatever he wants me to have. That is a wrong theology. It's a wrong mentality. It's a wrong way to look at it. To imply a doubt of his willingness, then when she went away in the very next morning, she claimed the promise. She said, now I believe that he could, he would, and he did remove the trouble. The whole point here is this. We might get some hit and miss happenings that take place when we go to services and go to altars and have people pray for us. There may be some of that. But the bottom line is this. To walk consistently in what God wills for our lives, we need to know the word for ourselves. She found out that he could, would, and did remove the trouble. In less than a half an hour, an external tumor of considerable size had wholly and visibly disappeared. That's pretty good, wouldn't you say? Based on an adjustment in the way she thought, when she changed her heart, attitude, and mind, boom. That's what took place. Now, next, number three. This is how we're going to get this into our, our, our spirits. Be sure we're right with God. That we can walk in the fullness of our authority. Be sure our hearts are right with God. And I'll tell you what. That takes a lot of humility on our part. Does it not? Humble ourselves before God. And Lord, search my heart and try my reins. Let me know what's going on inside of me that might be displeasing to you. Because why? Point A. Walking in darkness opens the door to sickness. Walking in darkness opens the door to sickness. Bitterness will defile us and cause a fountain of disease to spring up in us. It's like a poison. If we hold animosity, if we hold bitterness, any kind of darkness or whatever then we open up the door to the enemy. Well, we don't want to open up the door to the enemy. We want to open up the door to the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Do we not? Amen. Absolutely. Well, we know that we have an adversary, the devil, who roams about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, right? So we're told to be what? Vigilant. We're told to be sober. We're told to be mindful of the fact that we have an enemy out there who is looking for a way to devour us, to obliterate us, to overwhelm us, to destroy us. As Jesus said, he comes to steal, he comes to kill, he comes to destroy. He comes to steal like a kleptomaniac, is what the Greek word really means there. He's a klepto. 
And that means that no matter where he goes, the, the first thing on his mind is, what can I take? What can I take? What can I take? He looks at you, he looks at me, he says, what can I take from you? What can I take from you? What can I take from you? Can I hit your health? Can I hit your mentality, your, your mindset? Can I hit your bank book? Can I hit your marriage? Can I hit your children? What can I hit? What can I take from you? And that's exactly what he's going around roaming about, seeking whom he may take from. To kill. See, to steal and then also to kill. And when it talks about killing... It's talking about getting us to surrender everything that we have over to Him. To just lay it all out and just say, I give up. I give up. It doesn't matter anymore. And then the final word, to destroy, means to obliterate. He wants to obliterate. Think about what Jesus is telling. I'm coming to give you life, man. But this guy, he's coming to absolutely steal from you like a kleptomaniac. He's going to get you to surrender everything that you have to him. And then finally obliterate you in the process and destroy you ultimately in the process. And if you listen to him, that's the road to take you down. Now listen, what is he doing? Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary of the devil roams about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may. What does it mean by may? Who gives them the authority. Now, how does the devil get authority in my life? How? Through sin. Through walking in darkness. And if he sees that, open door. So he sets us up. So notice in your notes here, uh, at point B, Unless we repent and ask forgiveness, God will neither hear or help. These are the verses in Isaiah 59 and also chapter 66 of Psalm. He will hear it. He can neither hear nor help. But if we judge ourselves, he will forgive us and we can draw near to him with a true heart in full assurance of faith. So the choice is ours. We could either allow him to have access and surrender everything to him or we could lean toward God and just say, you know what, this is not worth me holding animosity, bitterness, unforgiveness, or whatever it might be, lust, whatever it might be within our hearts, pride, arrogance, etc., etc. It's not worth it at all. It opens up the door to destruction, and he's seeking whom he may. Whoever says, yeah, you may, you can enter into my life. Remember the Bible says, Ephesians 4.27, give no place to the devil. Don't give him any entry points to enter in. And sin will do that. So, in number four, other scriptures are there, but you can look them for yourself. Delight, commit, and trust. Psalm 37, verse 4 and 5. Delight, commit, and trust. And delighting ourselves with Him means to really, to worship Him. Look, look in your notes. Delight means to t spend time with God in worship. Time in worship. Meditation. And waiting in His presence. This is how we build these truths into our lives. Isaiah 58, did you get those words? Time, worship, meditation, and waiting in His presence. In Isaiah 58, instead of rehearsing the problem and complaining, your words are problem and complaining. We speak the word and exalt it above the report of the senses. This is where we're starting to get really mature in the things of God. Now to commit... Thy way to the Lord, trust also in Him, and He'll bring it to pass, is what Psalm 37, 4 and 5 say. To commit means to release it to God. To release it to God. It means to place it in His care. I'm giving it over to you, Lord. To turn the situation over to Him. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting in you. I'm trusting my spiritual growth in Him as well. 
Holy Spirit, I'm looking to you to move upon my heart, upon my mind, and build these truths within my spirit because just learning them intellectually is not enough. I need to embrace them. I need to surrender to them. I need them to change my disposition, change my life, change my conduct, my character, my behavior, my attitudes, my motives. All those things need to be adjusted. And only you can do that by your spirit. Remember when David said, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me? Remember he said that after he had sinned with Bathsheba and killed Uriah, her, her husband and all that. He committed all those crimes. And he went to the Lord and says, look, I, I sinned against you and you alone have I sinned. Now do something. Look inside me. Search my heart. Try my reins. Create me a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. He cried out for change because that's where it comes from. We need to want to be changed. Okay. And then... Um, to delight means time with worship, meditation, and waiting. Did you get all those? Instead of rehearsing the problem and complaining, we speak the word and exalt above our senses. Did you get that? To commit means to release to God. Did you get that? Okay. To place it in His care. And finally, to trust means to firmly believe in God's reliability, His strength, His ability. Or is truth to trust. I trust you more than my banking institution. You turn yourself over to a banking institution. Let's just say you have a direct deposit. Do you really check all the time to make sure that all that's going in there? Or you put it, you get, you, you, you get a check and you give it over to a bank teller. Are you sure they're putting everything in that account? Do you make sure you check that? I don't know about you, but I got in the habit sometimes just asking for a certain amount of money. Just It comes out in an envelope and you drive off, didn't even count it. Am I that trusting when it comes to the banking institution? We shouldn't be, I guess, because they make a lot of mistakes along the way, right? But a lot of times we are very trusting. We give them our check. We believe it's going here and there. But isn't God greater? Isn't God more reliable? Isn't God more trustworthy? We can trust Him with our situation. It's easy to say, isn't it? It's not as easy to do. Well, we thank God for His Word that helps us build faith. And I don't know about you, but it'll help build our faith as we study these materials and, and go over and over them again. So I, I just encourage all of us, get a hold of this, take it, go home, meditate it, and ask God to build within your spirit an understanding of the authority that we all have in Jesus. Amen? Amen. To rise up above demon power and also sickness and disease and to cure them. So let's take a moment, stand before the Lord and wait upon the Lord just for a moment here tonight. Let's do